D'Angelo of sescoops.com and it is episode number two four of one of a kind with rvd and i am here with mr one of a kind rvd rob welcome back to the show yet again yes sir happy to be me dude that looks like a it's a luchador right it looks like a wu-tang it is wu-tang it is wu-tang oh okay I thought it was Wu-Tang, and then the more I could only see the top half, I was like, no, nah, that's a wrestling mask. No, no, it's Wu-Tang. It does look like a wrestling mask, though. Thank yeah. you. You can see where one I would be mistaken. see that immediately, Wu-Tang. Cool. Yeah, well, coincidentally, uh, Katie was just in a possible Wu-Tang video last week. No shit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The guy says it's part of Wu-Tang, but I don't know. There's a dude I follow on Instagram, Eddie G or Eddie O, or I don't know. Someone hit me up and said, do I know any uh, girls there in Vegas uh, trying to finish this video or whatever? And I just said, you know, pass it on to Katie and she went and did it and it was cool. But um, but I don't know really like um, what it has to do with uh, <laughs> Wu-Tang. I'm a little, I'm a little confused um, about that. They've got like branches, Wu-Tang does. It's like Oh, they do? Yeah, they kind of like, there's so many like sub, I think, genres of them almost if i if i'm not mistaken but okay. i know a lot of the original wu-tang guys i think like rizzy angels who were both wrestling fans and they made a lot of references in their in their songs like ken patera they mentioned i think um yeah. maybe dusty Rhodes in one of them or something like that so yeah they they were they were big wrestling fans too so that's kind of cool i always i always did wu-tang his name is og lz at least that's his instagram okay and he says, um, a new music video for my single, Kings and Queens, coming soon. Um, I got a scene to film with Wu-Tang Clan's member, Capadonna. Capadonna. Well, maybe it's just with the member. I don't know. Um, all my Wu-Tang fans go drop the... I don't know. It seems like he's uh, from Wu-Tang. Maybe Katie understands it. Anyway, it's a bit of a synchronicity, even though I don't really... Um, you know, I don't know if he's like in with them or whatever, but uh, um, but one time, um, yeah, he's telling all the Wu Tang, um, this is his go drop the flames on my post if you're ready for this new Wu Tang clan video featuring myself and Capadonna. Okay, oh, there you go. All right, Katie's in it. Um, I had a video. I had a audio message for the longest time on my on my phone. Well, years ago, different phone for sure, but probably an iPhone six or something. I don't know. It was a long time ago, but um, it was a it was a cool message. Um, Yo, RVD, Rob Van Dam, Mister Pay Per View, Mister Whole Effing Show. Yo, what up, bro? This is Method Man. But, you know, and um, it was like a. a he was a he was a big fan and um method and rad had that sitcom that they were doing yeah and so the guy the stunt man that worked on that show was the wwe stunt man wally crowder and so he was the middleman and i guess uh somehow 
was talking about me or, or whatever. And so Meth left that message. And then I went out, visited them on set while they were, uh, you know, filming and stuff. So that was uh, that was my Wu-Tang experience. That's fucking fly. Uh, yeah. My buddy went and saw Jizza a couple months ago. He came to Pittsburgh and like was just uh, did a song and or did did a set and all that stuff. And so that that's pretty fucking sweet. I uh, yeah, I'll have to ask him about that Cappadonna, see if he knows who he is, maybe by chance. That's yeah. pretty awesome, though. Um, what is, so WWE stuntman? How does that work? Like, when do they utilize a stuntman? Like, um, whenever, like, let's say, like, uh, they're gonna have a car run over somebody or run into a semi truck and explode, um, or someone's gonna take a crazy bump from the top of the building and, and through tables, where, and then have a bunch of padding all set up, um, things like that. You know, like. Sometimes someone might get set on fire, anything like that. Are they typically always, is there always like a stuntman? No, no, special, it, it, it would be special to see special Wally. Occasion. And, and um, his assistant was there a lot more than he was. Like I'm blanking on dude's name right now. Um, that helped us a lot more than, than Wally. It wasn't like, it wasn't like every day, but it wasn't rare either. You know, like at least seems like, at least a couple times a month, we would we'd they'd be there on set. Yeah. Okay. Huh. That's interesting. I never really considered a stuntman being there and shit. That's Can't remember thing. dude's name right now. I feel bad, but hey, at least I remember his face. Do you think you could have lived the stuntman? I knew his face. Yeah. Hmm. Could you have lived the stuntman life, Rob? Um. Maybe. I was definitely interested in that and uh, enjoyed exploring the, that as an option at one point in my life, you know, and uh, went to the action movie making weekend seminar where a big part of that was learning how to do uh, stunts. Um, and um, there was a lot involved with that. There was acting, there was cold reading, there was weapons, there was, but the stunts was a big part of it. And, and I always thought that was cool but I also did learn as I got into the industry that it's it's one of the more thankless jobs as far as, yeah, when it, when it comes to the public, you know, like in behind the camera, they love you, you know, the stunt guy, like, you know, the actors and, and they have their own reward show and all that, which Wally Crowder was was part of. He, he listed the stuntman uh, directory. It was like a phone book for all the stunt men and women to get work from. And that was, uh, that was what Wally was, one of the things he was famous for, but, um, it's it's something where you know the, the 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 people in their mind they're still gonna think that it was Tom Cruise that jumped off the top of the building and you know went right through the window of the other building uh, next door and and, and rolled and um, you know and then uh, and kicked the dude's ass and saved the girl. So it's, it's in in that respect, you know, it might be kind of fun, but it's the it's the star that gets all the credit all the money, all the, uh, all the love and all the, all the thanks uh, in the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you see on some of them, on some of the movies, how bad some of the, the, when you see, if you like slow down the move, you can see, okay, that's definitely a stunt man or whatever. And sometimes. Yeah. It's like yeah. When I did my first couple, um, cause it's usually a budget thing. You know, when I did blood moon, um, you can see an Asian dude with a, with a wig and a ponytail, like, uh, <laughs> It's pretty funny. But I did, uh, but you know, I always thought it was cool to do my own stunts. You know, the more leverage I had, I always thought that was really cool that Jackie Stan, uh, Jackie Chan, 
did that. And um, Andy's amazing. You know what I mean? So that I was inspired by that. But when I did wrong side of town, I did everything myself, except there was one scene and and it wasn't my call. I wanted to do it, but it was, they were already doing it while I was filming something else. And sometimes that's the case, you know, you have different locations uh, where you're um, being productive, uh, filming something where it doesn't need to be me. They don't see my face, but it was, uh, my stunt guy was riding a motorcycle on the docks, you know, by the, by the water and shit. So had a little bit of level of uh, danger to it. And um, um, I still wanted to do it. I wanted to brag and say I did all my own stunts, you know? Yeah. Hey, it's pretty good to just say you did most of your stunts though too. Right. I know Burt Reynolds, I think he started as a stunt man too. And I don't know how many stunts he did when his, in his movie career when it started, but. Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, but it's, it's fun though. You know, like, That's part of the uh, thrill, jump, taking a fall on an airbag and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, you. how good of feedback been since uh, your last AEW appearance uh, since we last met a week ago? Did you get some more good feedback in anything? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was fucking, um, it was a success. It was, uh, it was, it was good. Everyone... Everyone loved it. It was awesome to be in uh, Philadelphia. And, um, you know, I mean, that's uh, that's about it. Just, just, just what you would expect, you know, as far as, like, fans. I mean, pretty much, pretty much we shut most of the uh, naysayers up on the very first night. Yeah. There was a few of them that still wanted to believe what they wanted to believe, and then they even shut up after the second match. Now it's been three matches, and people are – uh, for the most part, I think fine with realizing, you know, it's RVD wrestling like RVD, but um, people still see whatever they want to see, you know, and that's that's always that's always the case, you know. You can they can look at one picture of me from 2023 and one picture of me from 2003, and then they'll tell you the difference. You know what I mean? Well, his legs were a little bit more ripped in here. It's like, dude, it's one picture where I might not even be flexing the same way or lights are different or whatever but and i'm just using that as an example i'm just saying you know that's how that's how basic thinkers are yeah yeah <laughs> it is true though it's like people just take one picture and then they make their immediate assessment on that it goes back to all the judgment stuff we we're talking about yeah and, and it's hard you know i mean sometimes we're all guilty i think of doing that without realizing that's not a very big test there's not very many um subjects taking the test you're, you're testing like one out of one <laughs> coming up with a conclusion you know um i think he jumped higher you know before than he does now <laughs> you know with a different ring it's a different, but maybe you're right maybe whatever but i'm just saying it's that's it's not a, a very uh a very expandable expanded uh or uh a very big uh, test yes you know, that way. not very conducive to do not very extensive that's yes. the word for mm-hmm. um so other news that just happened for you, apparently uh, you will be facing Matt Riddle uh, come, let's see, March 9th. In March 20- 9th, yes. Yeah, 2024 at the OU Shoemaker Center in, oh my God, how do you say that? City Chillicothe. Chillicothe, you got it. Yeah, Chillicothe, Ohio. It's yeah. Big Time Wrestling, the Reunion 3. 
Bobby Fulton, of all people, announced it or revealed it on social media, apparently. Yeah, that's his show. Bobby Fulton runs Chillicothe. That's his town. No shit. Yeah, he does really well there, runs regularly, has a good uh, a good showing, and books a lot of stars there. Oh. Last time I was there, um, Sting was there. I think he was the only guy that had a bigger line than me at the uh, convention. But he does it all, does the convention and the wrestling matches and makes it a, a really big event that all of his uh, loyal fans are – um, very supportive of. Is he the promoter of Big Time Wrestling? And I just didn't know. Yes, it? sir. Yes, wow, sir. I did not know that. That's crazy. Yeah, which Big Time Wrestling used to be the original Sheiks. That's you know? what I was going to follow up with. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Bobby was a big fan of the Sheiks. No shit. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm happy to see it keep going on too. Like that. That name in wrestling. That's awesome. And uh, yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. Dirk White in California called his Big Time Wrestling too, but I don't think there was a relation to it. I don't think. Uh, yeah, you. I know we talked about Matt Riddle before. You never faced him in a singles match, though, correct? No, this will be the first time ever match. Wow. Dude versus the bro. Yeah. How about that? Well, that'll be pretty exciting to uh, look forward to on March 9th next year. Jeez yeah, Louise. Um, I'm already. I got my calendar, so if I can uh, book next year already, like 11 or 12 different um, events, mostly conventions and autograph signings, but um. Man, it's coming up on us quick. Does that typically happen for you, Rob, too? Like where you get like on a yearly basis, like where it's just like your book's so far in advance. Is that how usually your schedule goes a lot of the times? Or do you hit peaks and valleys and stuff like that when it comes to it? Um, I guess uh, it's hard to put a, an, um, a standard and say this is normal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you got to talk about the just the times when I'm not under contract and I'm in between contracts and that's always a factor too. But um, I mean, sometimes there's like peaks and valleys, I, I think, but this year and last year, I've just been busy as fuck. Like whenever, if I don't have uh, some dates on my calendar and I think like, wow, you know, I only got one, one date in October, I should be able to chill or maybe we can go on vacation or, or maybe I can get stuff done around the house or whatever. Um, I, I know that, that that's not, gonna remain the uh the situation like pretty soon people will start saying hey are you available this day what about this date and um and and that's the way it's been for at least the last uh, couple of years so um been um much more busy than i was before always at least as busy as i want to be yeah <laughs> <laughs> at least at the very minimum at bare minimum yeah. um when it comes to like you being on AEW recently, I would imagine that kind of picks up a little bit. Like, do, do people call you a little bit more to get get booked ahead of time or something like that? Do you kind of notice a um, relation between that two, I guess? I notice, like, it helps. Uh, uh, well, well, one, I mean, it, it, I hear more from wrestling promoters because they, they know more, like, oh, he is wrestling, you know, if, if, they, if they question it a little bit. But... Um, Seems like it gives everyone else a good rub, though, that's in my uh, clan. Katie, uh, Sabu, even Fonzie will get um, get more. Their, their phone will ring a little bit more and stuff. So, oh, that's so fucking I love that, that it yeah. trickles down through the family. You reverberate. Yeah. Rob reverberates through people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, speaking of AEW, uh, we talked about him a little bit last week as well. Uh, they announced today via press release that Ric Flair has signed a multi-year deal with AEW. So he's going to be around for a while. Wow. Good for him. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. 
I can't. I'm not. Sh- I didn't read the press release, but uh, and I don't know how many years it is. How but many years? Yeah, is- he's got his uh, energy drink. Woo Energy. Okay. The energy drink nice. of AEW now. So <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man, good for him. I was really surprised to see him there. You know, after after my match, um, just coming back off Gorilla, and I was like, Rick Flair, what are you doing here? You know, and <laughs> I think I told you I stuck around to get the audience reaction from him because uh, it's cool to to really deliver something extra to to Philadelphia. You know, they kind of. They're 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 a special breed there, so they deserve a little something special. Absolutely, it's and it's kind of neat with Flair because he is such a, you know, such a stalwart in pro wrestling and such a you know pillar in pro wrestling in a lot of ways, and he really defines the genre for fans and all in so many fat so much fashion. But on top of it too, he's like, I kind of like how he's emo- he gets emotional about it like a lot of the times. You know, he's he kind of it, it picks up for him, and even Sting said. That uh, when Flair came out uh, last week, that he got emotional, and that was only the second time in his career he ever got like teared up and like basically cried in the ring was with Flair. So um, the other time was when John Nord had gas. I remember that. Oh my god, (laughs) that's that's (laughs) that has to be like the. I think everybody teared up around that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, that's uh, that's cool. Um, You know. I always, when I see it, I always like, I always wonder, you know, like, okay, but how much of it are you just kind of like allowing to happen, you know, and some of it's like taking over for you or, you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, and I don't mean with him specifically, but just uh, in general, like um, um, if you watch contestant, I watch Shark Tank, you know what I mean? And it's always like, I can always tell, like, when they're going to start getting serious, I always start going, cry, cry, cry. You know, and it's like it helps them get a deal sometimes, you know. Right? There's (laughs) there's a lot of times where you can tell. uh, Now, sometimes people will put on the crying. Sometimes Sometimes. they they have a tendency to get emotional. And then, like, to what you're kind of saying, they they let themselves cry. Like, okay, I'm just going to show it all out and have it happen. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I remember I used to watch that fucking show – Lego Masters on Fox, where they build oh, okay. competition and shit like that. And I hated all the contestants on there because there was always like this kind of like sob story. And I know reality shows try to do that anyways. And I'm just like, oh, they're building Legos here. I don't give a shit. I just want to see see them build the Legos. <laughs> I don't need any of that extra. Like, I you don't need to pull my heartstrings. Right. I want to see what yeah. you can do with Legos. The judges, the judges like it though. The judges do like it, and it, it build, adds to the drama, I suppose. Right, the crowd can invest their emotions into the yeah. person, what makes them a little less uh, one-dimensional. I bonded with my son over Legos, and so do these two people. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, cool. Um, something else I wanted to touch upon. Uh, so I don't know if you saw this, Rob, but New Japan uh, issued a kind of a press release to their fans about and not approaching wrestlers outside of their events uh, when it comes to like public like interactions that aren't associated with New Japan, apparently. Um, I'll just read a little bit of it here. But it says, Thank you for supporting New Japan Pro Wrestling. On principle, we ask that fans to refrain from contact with New Japan wrestlers outside of officially designated fan meeting events. This includes waiting for wrestlers 
on entrance and exits from the venue. Please bear in mind that around venues and hotels where wrestlers are staying, waiting for wrestlers and pressuring them for autographs and pictures puts a strain on personal time as well as disrupts regular business as other guests and staff. Please understand that in future actions deemed to be overly aggressive to be or to be constructed as stalking will be discussed with local law enforcement and dealt with appropriately. And then they also say, we kindly ask fans to refrain from the following. Waiting at dojos, venues, hotels, and places of transit, airports for wrestlers, as well as photography and video taken without consent. Approaching wrestlers and requesting photographs and autographs outside of designated meet and greet events. Directly bringing gifts and fan mail to wrestlers. Gathering in large numbers around venues for wrestlers. And then it says, New Japan and its wrestlers deeply appreciate the support of our great fans. And ask your cooperation and respecting personal space, as well as local residents and institutions. Um, Obviously, fans are all over the place. You interact. I'm sure you have your fair share of interactions with them in these kind of environments. How do you kind of feel about like a wrestling company that kind of almost lays a kind of a groundwork for it? And be like, hey, can you kind of respect these parameters? Does it do- help? Do you think it's a good thing? What, where do you kind of like Pointless, dude. It's pointless. Yeah. It's pointless. And... And I get the uh, inspiration, you know, I, I get where you would have the incentive to to want to do that. And, and, you know, I, I I recently, you know, after the show, came back to the hotel, you know, uh, I'm, you know, my clothes are still wet with sweat. I want to get to my room and shower and I'm carrying my stuff through and then there's a, there's a bunch of fans like right there as soon as I get to the hotel. And I did say to Katie, I said, how rude. Don't you, don't you think, I mean, I think this is kind of rude. Just a little conversation instead of just a comment. You know, like I was, I was like, don't you think that's, this is kind of rude. She said, yes. But at the same time, I understand it because I was that fan. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, and for them, you know, that's like a chance in a lifetime, maybe, or maybe they do it every single show Uh, either way it's pointless to try to ask them not to do what they do there's no law that can prohibit it in a free society and uh i mean i'm not privy to all of japan's laws but i mean if they can film in public without consent anything that the eyes can see the camera can film um, then the whole thing is pointless and it just kind of makes them come across sounding uh, unappreciative. I want to say unappreciative from the perspective of a fan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Could you could you do this in any other business in the entertainment business? Could you say, hey, uh, Britney Spears fans, you know, or fucking, you know, uh, hey, uh, rock star music fans, uh, actors fucking fans whatever could you say you know like don't hang out you know like in their bar they go to afterwards or whatever you know like well just just wait wait until we have a place where we can charge you 200 bucks an autograph and you can wait in line don't don't take advantage of this person that's in the elevator with you pointless yeah yeah overall it's like I kind of understand some of the sentiment because you do see some of the footage online where I think it was Jeff Hardy. There was him at an airport. There was Ray Mysterio at an airport. And you have those types of quote unquote fans that come up with all these memorabilia to get signed. And they're clearly just doing it to sell it. Yeah. 
Yeah. But like that. Yeah. They'll have like they'll there. have like a big cardboard sheet and it's got rows of the cards taped to them. And they want you to go through and sign like 12 of the cards. It's like, <laughs> okay, that's a bit, you know, much. But I mean, if you've got the balls to ask, fuck, look at me. Here I am doing it. RVT, RVT. <laughs> you win. You know, Fine, you're just ready. You should. You know what you should do is just drop wieners on it anytime next. Yeah, time. yeah. I think Maybe that's I'll do that then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, they don't mean to be rude. Uh, you, you know, um, and like I said, I was one of them. I remember at the Kellogg Center waiting while Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, Danny Davis, they all went to the bar that was that's next door at Stouffer's Hotel. And I waited until they, they were completely, I mean, I caught them on the way in, they ignored me and I waited till they were done and caught them again on their way back. And, and it paid off. I got some autographs, you know, and it was yeah. like, um, I know, you know, the Jim Neidhart, cause he was a heel. So he was able to heal me and just say, fuck <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, um, but Brett, you know, he ended up signing and he was a heel, but it was probably cause I was waiting like a desperate kid the, for, two hours while he was in there having a beer or something. But wait, I mean, what do you, what do you, what are you saying? Like, um, you know, pretty, pretty please. Yeah. You can't enforce it. You, you can't, you, you, why would you, do you even have power of suggestion uh, with enough leverage to, to make a difference? I don't think so. If anything, all you're doing is maybe putting in the fans' minds a different way of seeing it. Like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I guess, I guess, yeah, maybe they maybe they don't want to take pictures at 6 a.m. when they just woke up from a cross-country flight. Maybe, maybe not, but maybe they'll think about that. But then still, you know, it's a chance in a lifetime to – meet somebody that's uh that you admire on television and there you are in real person getting a chance to fucking snap a photo or shake their hand or whatever you're gonna say oh that that one um pr guy asked me to do that favor <laughs> maybe i shouldn't yeah <laughs> i know it's a it's a tougher predicament for fans because you know you want to do it i i know like as a if you're a considerate fan you would think about doing it at an appropriate time but it's also like, oh, when am I going to get this opportunity again? You know, to kind of do right. something. So it's it's kind of one of the same there in a lot of ways. Um, cool. No, I wanted to get your perspective on that. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I will follow up. Rob, it, that Rob, is interesting. I didn't know that they were that they were suggesting that. You know, and it's yeah. like that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Why stop with wrestling fans? Let's go to soccer fans, hockey <laughs> fans, football fans. You know, why not? Hey, those guys. Those guys have a, a, a life on the road, too. They got to get some sleep. Let them hit the showers. Baseball, fucking, and, you know, definitely uh, Fozzie fans. Do you find it? I mean, I guess it's a such a different, like, atmosphere or genre, if you will. But, like, do you find, like, wrestlers kind of tend to be more accessible than other celebrities in certain ways? Um, or, like, you know, from athletes and stuff like that? Because there almost seems to be, like, a bigger filter or a gap in between where there's like quote unquote more security or more, I don't know routes to you that you can't really get through to get to like pro athletes. Sometimes it seems wrestlers seem to be more there. It seems, or am I mistaken? Uh, No, I mean, I don't know. I think it's circumstantial overall. I think, uh, 
I think that if you are um, a professional baseball player, you still probably go to the grocery store, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and things like that. So uh, I think, you know, that there's a big business in wrestlers conventions and autograph signings and stuff, you know, where, whereas uh, maybe that's not as common with other, with other sports. There's not a whole lot of football conventions or football players that can stay busy every weekend if they want to out there, you know, but, it, but then it's like when you cross the threshold and it being a celebrity, um, then, then that makes all the difference in the world. It, it's a, then it's just about the celebrity, regardless of uh, what that person's doing. You got, you got action figures and stuff made of you. Hell yeah. You know, people line up to get your autograph. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's true. It's very true. You could be a Klingon. You could be a Klingon in Star Trek. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. They stay busy every weekend uh, at the comic cons and stuff. And that's, they're definitely, um, I would think is accessible. Yeah. And wrestlers. And there's, yeah. And there, there's wrestlers no and Klingons. <laughs> wrestlers and Klingons. Those are the, it's that level. <laughs> that's the level of accessibility. Is wrestlers and Klingons together. <laughs> All right, Rob, I will follow up as I usually do. Have you watched any wrestling this week? I did not. Did no. not watch wrestling this week. That's okay. Cool. We covered a good amount, I think. And we're about to cover a little bit more, uh, particularly one of uh, your most notable opponents, I would say, uh, that I'm interested to get uh, a further, deeper dive into a perspective of and who we've mentioned before on here several times. Right. Uh, we're a little past Halloween, but my plan was to do this around Halloween, so we're still in the vicinity of it all. Uh, we're going to talk about The Undertaker, Rob, today. And uh, how I wanted to start it off is how he started off. He, uh, 1984, Mark Calloway signed a four-year contract to start his wrestling career with and would be given the ring name Texas Red. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Um, as did you know, you guys wouldn't have crossed paths at all in WCW, correct? He would correct. Have, Yeah, he wouldn't have been there. He would have, he have gone at that point. Um, but... He, uh, do you remember, uh, before we start off actually going into his career a little bit, I wanted to see if you knew who his first ever opponent he was that he defeated at WrestleMania. Was it, um, was it Godfather? No, it wasn't. Oh. So this happened. Kane? No, not Kane. March oh. 24th, 1991, it was WrestleMania 7. I Viscera? Kind of huh? Viscera? It wasn't Viscera, no. So it was Jimmy Superfly Snuka started oh, it all. I wasn't gonna get around to Jimmy for another two hundred wrestlers. You're right. I did. I forgot it was Jimmy. <laughs> I really did. So how about that? Um, but in late 1989, that's okay. Yeah, Mark Calloway arrived in World Championship Wrestling as Mean Mark Callis. He Mark Calloway wrestled as Mean Mark Callis, a member of the Skyscrapers, placing Sid Vicious, teaming with Dan Spivey. Did you ever have any interactions with Dan Spivey in your career? Very little, but yes. Uh, when I was in Florida, when I was just starting out, 91, 92, he was around. Um, I, I can't remember like any, like, 
any specific stories and i'm thinking like was he in wcw when i was there in 92 93 i don't know he might have been he might have been but that was still around like the same time when i was in my really early 20s and uh he was around and um a little bit barry windham was around were they together? Why am I, in my mind, I want to put them together. I don't know why. I'm curious too. Yeah, it kind of, they would kind of seem to line up with one another, it would seem. Um, mm. But Spivey, I know he went to WF during like the, the new generation era as Waylon Mercy. And that was like a early take almost of a, a Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt's earlier days. Um, I think I did uh, All Japan maybe with Spivey. Oh, really? I yeah. think so. so I think he, so. He was in WF. From 1985 to 1988, then he went to all Japan. So yeah, you might have ran into him in all Japan because he yeah. was there from 88 to 95. So uh, I'm trying to see who he's wrestling. He teamed with Johnny Ace, Mr. John Laronitis, actually. Yep. Yep. So, so there we go. Okay. Um, I know Shannon Moore had an interesting story about him. Apparently, uh, Shannon Moore had substance abuse issues. He went to rehab, and a big. Uh, proponent of him getting better was actually Dan Spivey. He would come to his rehab, pick him up and take him to Starbucks. And um, like he was asking, he asked Shana Moore straight out, do you want to get better? And like Shana Moore kind of hemmed and hawed, like, I guess I do and stuff like that. And then he just, Spivey just took him right back to the rehab center. Then like a couple weeks later, he took him to Starbucks and asked him the same thing. And so then they started getting wheels in motion after that. But uh, pretty interesting story about Spivey. I I was unaware of that. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. He, I'm pretty sure he was, um, you know, one of the Florida boys um, Mm -hmm. like, uh, like Johnny and like myself at that time when I was started wrestling for all Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know too. I brought, I wrote this one in the notes as well on February 6th, 1990 clash of the champions 10 the skyscraper spivey and callus defeated the road warriors by disqualification so undertaker had earlier in action with the road warriors what was funny is uh when aew came to pittsburgh the one time i was uh i went there to meet up with matt hardy and uh big show paul white was sitting in the the lobby and i was chatting he was just hanging out kind of and i just started chatting him up a little bit and he brought up this story about like i think the road warriors worked like super stiff like with them in the ring and Callus was so new at everything that he was in the back with Spivey, and Callus was ready. I mean, get it, he thought he was gonna legit have to fight the Road Warriors because of how stiff they worked with him. And then the Road yeah. Warriors got back, and it was just like all like you know, ass slapping and hand bat pads. Yeah, yeah, good stuff, good match. Yeah, good stuff, that kind of thing. So that's kind of a yeah. little notation I always kept in mind afterwards. Yeah. Um, here, here's a fun trivia fact too, Rob. Do you remember? Have you ever heard? who Undertaker originally wrestled as on house shows in WWE. It was The Undertaker, but he had a he had a first name that uh, ties into him later on. Actually, a former tag team partner of yours. Kane. Yes, he was Kane The Undertaker. He started yeah. on WWE house shows. How about that? Got one. Yes, there we go. All right, and now The Undertaker made his WWF debut at the Survivor Series 1990 alongside another man you're familiar with, Ted DiBiase. For a Survivor Series match, uh, you were training at this time, correct, Rob? Around 1990 and all that stuff, and kind of just early cutting your teeth. Where was your like fandom at this point? 
many like at this juncture where you get more serious about the business i guess when it comes to training and yeah yeah because i started um schooling with the sheik in december of 89 so then you know for the first uh six seven months or whatever you know all the all the training that we would do also included watching wrestling like the biggest mark ever and talking about um what we saw you know however it was relative to our um our growing knowledge of the business and stuff but my fandom at that point was was so big that it's hard when i think back to my perspective of the WWE superstars at that time, mm -hmm. sometimes I forget I was already in the business because in my mind, I think I looked at them like I was just a fan still living at home with my parents, but there wasn't that much time in between. Yeah, yeah. And like with the presentation and how WWE was so mainstream and like on the you know big stage, it almost seemed like, Larger than life, like almost like that. Still, that gap I would imagine being in there. Undertaker debuted when Survivor Series of nineteen ninety. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I couldn't remember if I saw him, um, you know, before I got in the business or not. But that's, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm just, just, just sticking my head in the doorway right then. Well, so I kind of wanted to follow it up with this: like you're training with the Sheik and everything, and the Sheik has hit such a you know, strong mentality of keeping serious to the business and everything like that. What did he kind of give you some sort of impression of WDF at that time, since they were such like cartoon character esques and all that kind of thing was, was there something of that coming into play too? how you kind of kept that mentality or what was he, does he, was he just kind of, that's part of the business in certain ways and where the business is going. Uh, I think those conversations were too advanced for us at that time. It was always about just going back to the basics and just, just wrestling. I remember him saying, yeah, and when we were in the ring, by the way, anytime, you know, boom, I give you a back body drop. If I looked at the around at the, at the people in the backyard, you know, she could be like, what are you looking at? Cover him. You know, he's on his back, cover him. It was always about, you're trying to win the match. Yeah, you know, yeah. The time his shoulders were down, there was no reason you shouldn't be covering him unless you're, um, uh, you know, just on your way to your next move. And so it, it was always about that. I remember him saying he believed that only one person should um, should be able to do the double bicep, and that was um, the champion, mm -hmm. you know, who, who was Hulk Hogan at the time. Um, I think he... He meant Hulk Hogan, but I don't think that he meant only specifically Hulk Hogan. You know, I think I, I took that to me more generally. If it wasn't Hulk Hogan and it was the, nat uh, the natural Butch Reed, for instance, then I think that the that, that, that Sheik would have meant it was okay for Butch Reed to do the bicep too. But um, that was the thing about looking out at the crowd or or, or whatever. Any And that was this colorful is the style God got outside of waist lock, reversal, leg sweep, cover him. Um, what he did say that always stuck out 
um, in, in our minds was that he said he was banned from New York City for uh, two lifetimes, is, is what he told us. <laughs> and, uh, and from WWE, from him uh, having heat with WWE, he alluded to it being about causing some riots oh. from the heat during his match. And so that was, you know, whether folklore or not, um, I, I I don't know. I just remembered I never, like, finished Brian Solomon's book, man. It's like, oh, I got to go back. I got to go back and uh, finish that. I got distracted on other books, but, yeah. yeah. There it is. It's not an easy read. I mean, it's not like a – or I shouldn't say that. It's not difficult to read, but it's not a quick read. That's yes. what I mean to say. yeah. No, I still got to read it too. I always buy the books and I'm like, at least I have them and I will read them when I get to it. There's so much in there. So knowledge packed. Um, but so that that's, you know, all I can remember was him talking about uh, WWE in the, in, in the context of, of that, you know, being the, the, the territory that he, he wasn't allowed in. And of course, when I got to WWE, he was, uh, he was proud of me. I bet. I bet. Was was his heat that he told you about? Was that with Vince McMahon Sr. or Vince McMahon Jr. at the time? Do you think it would have been? I don't even know. Yeah. I'm trying to line it up too. I'll have to. Yeah. I'll do yeah. some Googling after this and figure that out. Um, it's in that book for sure, though, whatever, oh, yeah, the, whatever the facts are to it. Yeah. All right. Well, then, then I'll make this more of a priority to read then for sure. <laughs> it gives you alternate. Um, info too sometimes you know the, if a story is told two different ways they'll go ahead and tell you both they'll say you know the the rumor is blah 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 but you know it was stated in new york times blah blah blah, blah and this is probably what really happened and it's just it's it, it's so good but it's something that uh, every once in a while i would uh, put it down and read something that was a little different mobster yeah. book or whatever and come back to it and I, I forgot to go back and finish it till just now yeah how about that hey i know brian solomon too he's in the process of writing a new biography too on gorilla monsoon so that's his next that's awesome. project he's been yeah. working on yeah so i did the forward in that you know yeah uh, yeah that's right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah I, I, name's right there for by rob Daniels. i gotta hit him uh back and give him my feedback but i wanted to wait till i finished the book yeah maybe that's what i'll i should make it a priority read we should try to get him on here at some point or something. Too. I think yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be super cool, actually. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. Let's definitely do that. Um, so I would follow it. I wanted to follow up with this, too. Uh, I don't know when it's actually the right time to do it in the show, but I think since Undertaker just debuted, I wanted to get your thoughts, and maybe they're different from then and now, but what are your thoughts on a supernatural character in pro wrestling? Like, obviously – there's that suspension of disbelief where the Undertaker's, you know, a dead man, quote unquote, or he's has these somewhat mystical powers. Um, where did you kind? Of, where do you kind of fall on the supernatural character now in comparison to, say, maybe your time in ECW? So I would have to think when I was on ECW, I would have been against a supernatural character. Mm -hmm. I would have thought that it was killing the credibility that I worked so hard to build. Mm -hmm. That's how I looked at it. You know, just like if somebody used the force and like choking. So right. You know, Darth Vader's doing that shit. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, throw a fireball, burn their face off. I believe that, you know, yeah. that's, <laughs> um, but now, now I just, you know, I don't even think wrestling is now, or, or I believe now my understanding of what professional wrestling is is quite different than what my understanding of what wrestling was back then and there's so many things that i mean we're all part of it and, and all of our efforts do impact the result which does in fact change the substance of what it is mm -hmm. some of us more than others at the same time we only have so much control over it and so like when it comes to certain aspects of wrestling like the uh actors and comedians or whoever uh getting into the business and uh and hitting finishes and stuff like that you same with uh i guess supernatural characters um like all of that now is just part of a big entertainment show that has wrestling as its foundation and uh it also the undertaker's part of the show is like everybody's like favorite part of the show so they don't care what wrestling is but it takes the gladiators mindset out there fighting for what they're doing to still get that finished product that you get when you watch it but overall you know, when the lights go out and uh, his music hits, man, that's like, everyone's like, and they love him too. You know what I mean? Like, he, so for sure. So like, uh, he, his being, his part of the show would win anybody over except maybe in the argument of the credibility which would have been my only perspective back then now who gives a fuck <laughs> it's i think it's is an interesting thing because i mean when he made his debut in wf there was such like kind of larger than life characters there of a hulk hogan or macho man randy savage or you know you had brutus the barber robbie the barber's father and then we had um you know, just a million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Drunk so, Johnny Dog, Tito Uncle, Santana. Yeah. Jake uh, the Snake. You can, Uncle Elmer. Uncle, yeah, Uncle Elmer, <laughs> all that stuff. So it's like he kind of fit in that ecosystem. But boss, it's also, man. boss man, big boss man. And so he fit in that landscape of things. But um, it, it was pretty interesting to see how he still kind of maintained. He was the one that still kept the gimmick pretty tied together for the majority of his career. Obviously, he took a venture out. Uh, with the American badass and stuff, but and you know, as far as commitment goes, um, that's that's Sheik too. I mean, Sheik was the most committed to his character, and you know that 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 fire was originally. I you know, I mean, that was something mystical. Mm -hmm. You know, he was throwing a fireball from his hand. So. Where does that fall on the scale of uh, supernaturalism, credibility? Um, you know, it wasn't the, I don't think the idea was ever, hey, the Sheikh of Araby has a lighter uh, and some flint paper that he's lighting and throwing a ball. It wasn't that. It was, ooh, you know, like maybe he's got powers. Yeah. He's got the flying carpet. So um, I think that he 
in his own way also was um, impressing that upon the crowd. You add that air of mystery to yourself, and that kind of elevates your star power in a lot of ways. Like the Sheik, in a lot, not just in that manner, but because he had that thing to the fireball aspect to it, it was like, dude, you don't fucking see that all the time. <laughs> like, the oh, he was the first one to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and, and the Undertaker has that air of mystery. Plus, you look at somebody like an Ivan Koloff, who wasn't really Russian, but he's was committed to the character for how long and like acted like yeah. that outside of the ring all the time, like spoken Russian, all that stuff. Very, very rarely you would see him out of that. So, um, all right. We're going to jump ahead a little bit here to when you were in WDF, uh temporarily June 19th, June 16th, 1997 on raw, the oh, headbangers shit. Mosh and Thrasher defeated Jerry Lawler and Rob Van Dam on that. Oh, fuckers. Damn assholes in those skirt wearing guys. I hope they pin Jerry, not me. Yeah, I I, I don't know. <laughs> but also on that very same episode, Farouk and Kama Mustafa, also known as Godfather, defeated The Undertaker and Ahmed Johnson. Did you have any interactions to take around this time when you were uh, showed up in WAF as the ECW representative? No, sir. None. None come to mind. None come to mind. Okay. Okay. Jumping a few well, I mean, he did shit in my bag that one time. That but son I, of a bitch. That's not even worth really bringing up. You know, like, who yeah. hasn't had that happen? You should have peed in his urn. That's what you should have done. Ooh. Just once. Let's see here. October 5th, 1997 was Bad Blood, meaning it was the first ever Hell in a Cell match between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Uh, this was also the debut of his kayfabe brother, Kane. Uh... Did you have any thoughts on Kane at the time? Was it in like at this state of the mind you're in ECW and so like the, another supernatural character coming into play? Uh, was it just kind of in the backdrop you were doing your own thing and not really thinking about what WF was doing at the time? Or is 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 Kane just now materializing for the first time? Yes. In, in what in ninety seven? Ninety seven. So they hyped him up as like, hey, this is Undertaker has a brother named Kane. He's going to be here. He's coming. They were building the hype up, and sure enough, at Bad Blood, he shows up and costs Undertaker the match at, at Bad Blood 1997. So. I don't recall um, seeing or having any feelings on it. I don't think I was watching their show at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure wasn't. I got a great Paul Bearer story, though. Oh, let's hear it. So... Um, Okay, this is why, you know, where you might want to roll roll one up real quick if you got one, because this is going to take about four minutes and 20 seconds to tell you this. Um, so several years ago here in Las Vegas, we were at the um, Cauliflower Alley Club, which is an annual uh, wrestling uh, event here where a lot of old timers and Young people, everyone comes together, reward, award nights, all that stuff. Look it up. Cauliflower Alley Club. Um, Fonzie met me out here, or maybe in L.A. Um, I was living in L.A., but we did, uh, uh, we went there and uh, we, we we signed autographs in the um, nostalgia room, they call it, in the in the, so it's where, you know, 
wrestlers are signing at tables in a little convention like area mm -hmm. and pictures for sale, stuff like that in the daytime at the hotel where the Cauliflower Alley Club is. And uh, uh, I can't remember what all we were there for. It's a bunch of events, you know, and you have a, there's a big banquet dinner that's a couple nights. Um, well, Fonzie and I uh, were at Fridays where at the nighttime, after the daytime event, uh, all the bars would go to Fridays. This was at the uh, Gold Coast. Um, they moved it now downtown, but the, at the plaza. But the Gold Coast, everyone go to Fridays afterwards and have beers and bullshit or whatever. And uh, I was there, and uh, Fonzie comes up to me. And he says, hey, Van Damme. Um, he says, um, Hey, uh, I got it. I got you a, a hotel room. Uh, so you don't have to, you don't have to go drive back home. You can, uh, you can stay here for free. And I had a house that was in Vegas that I was going to drive to, um, at the time that was mm -hmm. a, a rental. Anyway, uh, so I'm just gonna just cruise home. No, 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 there's no charge. I got an extra room. No one's even using it. He goes, look, I, and I goes, look, I got your room key. And he handed me a room key and I'm like, Oh, all right, where did this come from? Is these fans said they got like an extra room, and then these fans come over. Go, hey, just you know, put them over. These are the guys, you know. Say, hey, good to meet you. You know, boom, boom, boom. Met these guys, and uh, like this is just an extra room. They're like, yeah, it's you know, we're not uh, we're not using it. If you want to, uh, uh, if you want to crash, you don't have to drive anywhere. And I was like, oh well, all right, fuck, that's cool. Um, and I stayed there. And the next morning, uh, we needed to go down and do the signing in the uh, convention. And Fonzie came out to my room to get me. And uh, he's trying to get me going. And I'm rolling a doobie. You know, he's like, Van Damme, uh, I don't know if we should, uh, you know, if we got, we should get going down there. And I said, relax, Fonzie, you know, let me get my head straight here. And and, and I spark it up. And he's like, uh, he's like, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know, uh, um, you know, let I don't know where that's a good idea to, to smoke uh, in the hotel room or whatever. And I'm like, dude, it's fucking Las Vegas. Nobody gives a fuck, which I <laughs> truly thought it, before this <laughs> situation. And, and, I, and we're, we had our head out the window and we're smoking. And all of a sudden the phone rings and Fonzie picks it up and he's like, hello. And he's like, click. And he hung up and I'm like, dude, what? what was that? Mm -hmm. And he, he said, I don't know. They just asked, uh, who is this? No one's supposed to be in this room. I'm like what? And then it starts ringing again. I'm like, fuck, you know, and Fonzie and I were like, don't answer it. Don't answer. And Fonzie's like, let's get going. Let's get going. I was like, oh, okay, dude, hold on. It's almost done. Anyway, you go, man, damn, you know, we, we need to get going before they send somebody up. I'm like, you know how big a fucking hotel in Vegas, uh, or, uh, uh, the actual hotel in Vegas is? They got to go through the casino or the hotel elevator. I go, we got time. Trust me. Like, we got we got at least five ten minutes, and uh, before they send somebody, and he, and, uh, and I'm like I'm like hitting the joint, and uh, Fonzie's like uh, making sure all of our bags are ready and everything, a suitcase. He's like, uh, all right, come on, Van Dam, and he's like spraying some stuff, <laughs> and. Uh, I fucking uh, hit the the doobie and oops, and I fucking uh, throw it out the window, bam, and all of a sudden knock, knock, knock on the fucking door, right? Mm -hmm. We look out the, the the peephole and I see what looks like five fucking uniformed cops. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, like 
uh, <laughs> whoa, dude, what the fuck? And uh, Clancy, and uh, so we answer it. We we pick it up, or I mean, I'm sorry, we 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 answer the door, and he's like, uh, who? They were like, who? Uh, and, and there was a lady manager with them, and she was the one doing most of the talking. She was like, um, who? Um, who? Who are you guys? And, and uh, why are you in here? This room uh, isn't supposed to have anybody, nobody in it. And, and like somebody gave me a key uh, last night to this room. Uh, and they said, someone gave you the key to a room and, and you don't know who it was. I was like, no, Fonzie, Judy goes, no, I, I, I don't know who they were. Somebody that we met last night. They didn't believe us. Really? We lying. And then one of the guys, one of the cops, of course, is like, I smell marijuana. Were you guys smoking marijuana in here? Like, no, come on. <laughs> and, uh, and the cop says, uh, you, you know, if I find marijuana, you know, you guys are in, in trouble. We don't have, we don't have fucking uh, marijuana. And I have it right in my bag, you know, like, like right by me. And I'm thinking, man, this ain't cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is not, this is not how I wanted to start my fucking day. Right? No, right? Like, Damn, I should have listened to Fonzie. Should have went down and had a cup of coffee. I'd be at the table right now signing autographs. But um, the uh, the cop, so him and a partner, he's like, do you, do you smell marijuana? And the other person goes in. And he's like, the, the other person said, they didn't, no, I, I don't smell anything. And he's like, and they walked around. And so now two of them are walking around the hotel room looking for weed. And I got like two or three of them out in the hallway with the lady manager telling me, um, so you're, you're trying to tell me someone that you don't know just came up to you last night at the bar, gave you a key and said, here's a free room. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. And then Fonzie's like, well, well you were, we're, we're wrestlers. Uh, this is RVD. Uh, we're, we're, we're famous. So we have fans and they, and then they do stuff like that. And, and, and she's like, um, we don't have you registered as guests. So you're not insured under our hotel. So, um, you know, we're, you, you can't be here on this property. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know that. And, uh, and she's like, um, uh, and she's like, um, you expect me to believe that, that you just got, got a, a, a yes. I mean, that's what fucking happened. What? And then, and then the other guy's like looking around for weed. He's like, yeah, he comes out. Then he's like, um, you got marijuana in your bags? No. Of course not. Do I look like somebody that would have that? <laughs> right. And, and uh, if I get a dog, is the dog gonna say gonna give the same answer? I'm like, fucking get a dog, dude. No one's smoking weed. But really, inside, I'm going. This is really not cool. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> this, is, this is not healthy for my vibe, my Las Vegas vibe that I wanted to start with today. Right. Um, it got like uh, it got like really tense. And I, I don't know why, but I kept thinking there was a trash can and I was like wanting to throw my weed in the can, which would be so stupid. But I was thinking if they turned or something, I don't know why, but that was on my, on my mind. Cause I knew it was like right here in the zipper. And I, um, anyway, um, the lady ended up, you know, saying, um, you, you know, you, uh, you can't be on our property and fine. We're leaving. And Fonzie says, you know, we're here because we're doing this convention. We're, you know, boom, boom, boom. And so they got our information and 
where we're going to be. And they said, you know, uh, and we're like, you know, we're late now, you know, we, can we just go down there? We don't want to end this. And, um, and they ended up saying, you know, if we need you, then we know where to find you. Um, and you know, we might be coming, coming back down there when we get more information. Um, and, uh, and, and need to proceed further with this investigation. Like what, whatever, dude, whatever the fuck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we get on the elevator, me and Fonzie, we're like, what the fuck man dude that was not cool man that almost killed my buzz turns out those marks the night before that gave us gave me that extra room key turns out they were there with percy pringle and he died what so he no showed he wasn't there because he died and that's why that's why I got the free room. That's fucking wild. Paul Bear. Pretty Bears. crazy story, huh? That's nuts, Rob. Holy yeah. crap. Man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and dude, that would totally like were you kind of worried too that they were gonna come back down and be like harass you while you're at the table and shit fuck yeah fuck yeah with my weed in my bag there yeah i don't know i don't know if i moved it or, or what but yeah that was going through my mind for sure it was it was a little stressful uh, i can imagine that if you, if you like listening to this podcast for the stories tell us below Hell, the one of the thumbs. Hell, come it never tells how many thumbs down there are on any videos. You they don't do that? that anymore. Yeah, they don't that's do that weird. anymore. That's some weird, like, anti-hate stuff where where they're actually uh, censoring free speech, I think. At that exactly. Point. I, agree. I agree. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Uh, wow, that's that's wild, though. Jeez, um, we'll touch upon Paul Bear again in, in a little bit, but uh, we're going to jump ahead. May 21st, 2000, it was Judgment Day. The Undertaker returned with a drastically new gimmick. It was the American Badass. He dropped the Dead Man gimmick and became a mean biker and used Kid Rock's American Badass as his entrance. Uh, Rob, what did you think of the American Badass gimmick of the Undertaker? It looked a, it was a little bit more legitimate in regards to who he was, maybe as a person and stuff like that. Um, did you like that kind of venture out of that version of the Undertaker? That's who you mostly interacted with, starting off in WWE. Uh. I felt indifferent, I think, about it. Like, I think I think my head was just up my own ass at that time, worrying about myself and my path and what they're doing with me and dealing with politics and stuff. Like I said, I wasn't watching the show. Mm-hmm. I would watch. Like, I would record it. It wasn't three hours. It was two hours then. I'd record it, and I'd just fast forward just to watch my match, just to critique you know, just to say, okay, yeah, you know, or to come up with something new, like, hey, I could skip that step and jump right over it. That'd be cool. Or you know, <clears throat> I would look at it like that, but I, I didn't watch uh, the whole show, didn't en- enjoy it. It was just so much, just all about business for me. So because of all that, you know, I, I, I didn't know, and I still don't know. I got a question for you. When he was the biker, was he not a dead guy? He no, wasn't, he wasn't a dead guy. He was not a dead biker, so he okay. Yeah, I thought he was a dead biker till just now. Like I never, I never really thought about it that it was that drastic of a of a change of character. I thought it was just like a different side to him. Like okay, this is this is Undertaker on Halloween. 
<laughs> this is Undertaker's Halloween costume. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Dead biker. He, uh, so he, I remember they have like, like little girls, like creepy little girls introing him and stuff like that to start off the show when he made his debut. And then it would turn into the kid rock music. But that was like the closest. Little girl? Oh, you mean in the audio? In the audio and stuff oh, okay. like that. Like, are you scared? And then the, then he would come out on the bike. So it kind of had that past ties to his, you know, creepy dead man gimmick. But yeah, he was he was not dead anymore. He was just an American badass. Um, and did they ever like go through and explain that? Or they just kind of let no, it? No. Okay. At least from what I don't, I don't remember them doing that at all. It was just like, okay, this is the Undertaker now, I guess. There's probably an explanation of some alternate universe, you know, like when they were talking about the storyline that went into Kane and how deep that actual story was. I don't know where that story was exploited or seen. Um, if it, if it in fact played out on the wrestling show to the extent where everyone was able to get all that. But when I heard like all the thought put on it before, it just sounded like, it sounded like a fucking a comic book or. Right. Cause I think I'm trying to think what happened. Somebody burned the house that Kane and going by the story, obviously burned the right. house that Kane and undertaker lived in. I think it was Kane who burned the house. Their mom died. Paul Bear took them in, and Kane was... Watch the thumb, watch the thumb. Oh, gosh. You get infringement. A gooseneck. Kane was the... Um... <laughs> Kane was the, the evil child, and the Undertaker, like, went away from it or something like that. They had some in-depth stuff with it. You know? I just remember that. The other thing... Yeah, besides the besides the gooseneck, <laughs> yeah. the other thing that it's I don't know why some people do this, but um, their hands get like really wide too, like that. Like oh, that's the other. So we yeah, had the some, some will do this with no thumbs, right? Yeah. Some will do this like right? I get a lot of pictures like that. Like I'm 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 doing that, and they're and they're like oh, R V D. <laughs> I don't know why. And then some people like for some reason their hands get like really wide, like they just roll over the tops, like of action figure hands. Yeah, I think my dad would do that. I think I have a picture of my dad. Doing oh, that. really? That's great. Oh, I did that the other day, and I was like, "Well, that's a that's a whole nother." That's the RV dad. This is RV dad yeah. right here. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> this is the mess, though. That's um, the Linda. Do the Linda. So there's probably a story like that with the burnt house where the dead guy ended up being a biker and then died again. Okay. I don't know. I no. bet they might have been a comic book. I know the Undertaker had several comic books on him. Um, did you have any Kid Rock interactions? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, do you remember any, like, when you met him or anything like that? Um, well, do you remember Joe C? Yes, little Joe. Was he the little, the little guy? So he was a friend of mine. Oh, really? Yeah, and he was in Kid Rock in the mm -hmm. band. Uh, what was the band called? Country something. Did um, they have a band name? I didn't even know. Yeah, because they were separate. Like he, they paid. He paid them. They were just for hire. No shit, I didn't know that. And he made all the fucking money. Yeah, and I used oh. to, I used to say to Joe, like, "Damn, dude, you, that ain't, he's making so much bank, and then he just pays you guys." Anyway, it was like the three of them, like Joe C, the lady, and. 
anyway, um, you, when I met Joe C, that was in Detroit. He's from Detroit. Kid Rock's from. They're all from. We're all. All of us are from Detroit. Same. Yeah. ICP as well, and and uh, we all come from the same area. But anyway, we were at a uh, show, or ECW show. I believe it was ECW. Yeah, it was. Um, so this is early '96, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, Pee-wee, John Pee-wee Moore, our referee, also lived in Detroit. And uh, this is before the doors are open. This is when, you know, uh, chairs are being set up, hour or two, I guess, you know, before. And uh, and I'm walking around, and um, I'm in the dressing room, and um, P- and I think Pee-wee left the kid – I saw Joe C first and I kicked him out of the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, you can't be here, man. And, uh, and he's like, um, no, I, 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 I'm with Pee Wee. I'm like, no, no, wait, wait for him out there. And I, and I kicked him out of the dressing room. And then, uh, a little while later, um, I walked by and, uh, he was back there, but he was with Pee Wee mm-hmm. and, and, uh, PB was like, uh, hey, hey, Rob. And I was like, hey, I, I already kicked him out, dude. I told you you can't be back here. And PB was like, no, 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 he's a friend of mine. And I'm like, so you can't fucking bring him back here, dude. You know, we were, I was protected by business. Sure, yeah, here. yeah. And, uh, and then um, he said, no, he's, he's, um, he, he, he's Joe C. He's, he, he's a rapper. He's actually like, uh, like really famous, like, uh, uh, with Kid Rock. And I'm like, what, dude, get the fuck out of here. And, and, and he's like, he's like, no, no, I am. And I'm like, and I'm, I didn't want to hear it. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Just, dude, just keep it moving or whatever. And he's like, no, 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 for real. And then, uh, this little kid, like, I thought he was, you know, a fucking, I don't know, what, seven, eight year old? Yeah, yeah. Cause he, yeah, he looked like that. Yeah, and, and he looks up at me, and just from his articulation, I could tell that he wasn't a kid. Oh. And the way that he was putting his words, and he was like, he's like, yeah, no shit, bro. I um, I got this disease, and and like I'm really fucked up. I can't eat normal food. I got to eat through a tube that I plug into my uh into my belly button here, and uh, and because I can't digest food, and I'm, and so it's as tall as I'm ever gonna be. I'm 26 years old, and I was like holy fuck like there's no way that a kid is telling me that that's an adult talking to me yeah yeah and then anyway we became good friends then after i kicked him out and uh and i always hung out with him so when often i would get with him when kid rock was around you know if they were in town a town that i was in you know we'd get usually get together me and josie would smoke so um the uh, you know Kid Rock would be just coming through the catering or whatever and say hi to him, but you know never uh, I never gave him a Van Daminator or anything like that. Damn it! Damn it! Yeah. Wow. So he um, I think the disease he had is celiac. Celiac. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm seeing. I'm not seeing what the name of the band though he was in. The name. Of the um. Band. Yeah, check that out. They have yeah. a name for, for the three of them. Um, He's- hey, Siri, what was the name of the band that Kid Rock contracted? Kid 
That ain't what I'm. That ain't what I'm trying to say. She's talking about the Beast Crew. Beast Crew, yeah, that's what I just saw too. I'm trying to figure that out. Hmm. Jeez. Let me see here. I can find. Oh, you know what? We'll look up Joe C because he was part of. I the- I just Wikipedia'd him and I couldn't find the anything that he was with. Oh, I just a hype man and a rapper. On Wikipedia. Let me see here. Gangster rap, including local rapper Joe C, DJ Uncle Cracker. I remember Uncle Cracker. Right. Mm. Early yeah. Morning Stone Pimp. That's the name of the album. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody if any of you listeners are... Are... I'm thinking like something about traveling or walking. Yeah, yeah, there's something I, I thought I saw on here. Huh. I don't know if any of the listeners or watchers here on YouTube, you see this, you know the name of the Joe C band. You put it down in there. Yeah. Yeah, do it that way. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that you knew uh, Joe C and Kid Rock that much. Oh, yeah. How about that? All right. Well. One time, one time, um, so so he had to get um, plugged into that machine every, like every night, like at 10 o'clock or something, you know, and put the hose into this nozzle that was like down there where his belly button is. And um, uh, one time he was in town for, I think it was the Emmys, one of those really big, big nights, you know. Um, Sean Puff Daddy was staying in the hotel, like, not next to him or whatever. This was something that was funny about Joe C. He would always want to just get out of there and, and go hang out with the wrestlers, you know, yeah, smoke, yeah. Weed, smoke weed, hang out with RVD. And I'd always be like, dude, man, look at, you know, look who's, look who's in your room, you know? And he'd be like, yeah, I know. He was always like that, man. I got so many Joe C stories now that I think about it, but they would always be like coming up to him while we're trying to smoke. Hey, uh, Joe, they need you for this uh, commercial or whatever. Be like, man, I'm supposed to have a break, you know? And it was, just, <laughs> you know, it, was uh, <clears throat> it was funny. Cause I'd be like, dude, like that's fucking awesome. They're gonna they want you in a Pepsi commercial. What? <laughs> but um, anyway, I had uh, picked him up from the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel where he was staying. I don't know if it was the Hollywood. No, it was. It totally was. I don't know why. It seems like I picked him up somewhere else, but I know I dropped him off. But anyway, where I lived was forty five minutes away with no traffic that's great you know if you could just fly down there yeah um, with traffic even worse and uh, he was down at my house um down by the water and we're smoking and um he just like started like fading on me you know and, and uh, joe you all right huh yeah yeah no i'm cool i'm cool you all right i are you just just tired you know you want some coffee or something and all right cool you know and and then uh a few minutes later i noticed him doing it again like he's falling asleep and I'm like, Joe, what's up? And he's like, oh, he goes, I need to uh, I need to be hooked into my machine uh, by uh, 10 p.m. And it's like, dude, what? It's 1130. Holy shit. What the fuck? How come you didn't tell us? And then we, we, we tried so hard, flew, trying to go all the way back up to Hollywood, speeding, flying by everybody because I thought Joe C was going to die. Hang in there, Joe. He's in the back seat. Like, uh, stay with us, buddy. We're almost there. Oh, scared as fuck i didn't know you know but uh <clears throat> we got him 
we got him up there. And then I remember seeing him like run across Hollywood Boulevard because uh, for some reason I dropped him off across the street and seeing him run and like, you know, being scared of cars and shit was like, <laughs> it was, it was like really like eye opening. Like, wow, it must be scary being that, that size, you know, in, in, in this world. But he did live to see another day. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. Plenty can't remember where he passed away. It was, um, let me take, take a quick look here just to make sure. Passed away in November 16th of 2000. So he was 26 years old. How about that? So at this point, I am uh, talking to WWE, mm-hmm. negotiating, whatever, talking about coming in and, and signing a deal. But at the same time, my knee is fucked up. I heard it in Thailand doing the uh, fucking Black Mask 2 movie. Mm-hmm. I fucked my knee up. And it's swollen up, and I'm limping. I'm trying not to sell it, but um, I was at Josie's funeral, and there was only a couple of other wrestlers there. I mean, Sabu was there. Um, I think Just Incredible and X-Pac. Um, and, and that was about it. But uh, somehow after the funeral... Word got back um, and got out that my knee was hurt, okay. and and not only that my knee was hurt, but then I was concerned that WWE would find out, and then it would hurt my uh, position, you know, and trying to get a job, and it would fuck my leverage up, and I couldn't believe that got out, and I always would think about that when I think about Josie's funeral. Um, Bob Ryder was printing uh stuff you know about that i don't want people to know that my knees hurt and i was denying it with facts you know i was like oh yeah well my knees hurt how come i squatted uh how come i squatted 405 for 12 reps last night you know and it was true but i you know but also my knee was hurt and i ended up um sucking it up for another four years and, and my ACL just kept whittling away, but it hurt like the whole fucking time. People don't even know that. When I was in WWE, uh, rocking, like jamming, 2001 to 2005, my fucking knee was killing me. And then one night it finally snapped my ACL in a match. Me and Ray Ray were wrestling the Bastion Brothers, and they went to backdrop me, and I just like rolled on his back, landed on my feet. Bam! My, my, my ACL uh, band had snapped and then I couldn't straighten my leg out or bend it. It was just stuck in a position, slightly bent and I was fucked, you know, and I tagged out, rolled out, kept walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth alongside the ring down there on the floor, trying to walk it off and it was not working. And I was fucked. And I kept looking over at Terry Taylor cause he was the agent and mm-hmm. I saw him watching and I was just like, fuck you know and i don't know what happened you know it's like it's it's not getting better you know and i'm walking 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 wouldn't straighten out or bend it was fucked so then i had to get surgery which was my only uh, surgery that i that i had in my career that's wild and, you know like for you to be dealing with that knee injury during that time too that's like yeah you're right in the thick of like you hitting you know your w stardom early on and all that stuff and like from the fans of the layman's eye, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't even known. I didn't know. No, that's why you know that's that old school mentality of not wanting anybody to know you're hurt. Because mm-hmm. why? Because I can still work. If I right. can still get out there and do the job and make some money tonight, and I want to do it, it ain't your business how I feel. 
And, and so I, I, I sucked it up for four years. And then, um, and, and, you know, sometimes the guys would ask me, you know, like I remember Spike Dudley one time in particular saying, Rob, are you, are you, uh, are you okay? And, and I was limping so bad. And I was like, I'm fine. And I was like limping over to the shower, you know? Yeah. And he laughed and said, Rob, I don't think you'd tell us if you were dead. Which, <laughs> Which, of course, I wouldn't because how could I? But, how could you? You'd be dead. <laughs> but I always remember that the Spike said that. But, I, yeah, I wouldn't tell anybody because uh, I, didn't want, I didn't want time off. Right. I bawled. When I, when, it, when I finally did have to go and get it operated on and take time off, I remember crying when I was talking to Vince. Like, I felt like I let him down so much because I felt like I was selling this package of indestructibility at my high-risk level of output this is all on me i'm i'm showing you i'm not gonna get hurt i'm gonna do this and uh and, and pull through and be there for you every night and bam all that was taken from me so i was fucking i was a bitch about it <laughs> <laughs> well dude if you set you set yourself a standard too of being like you know this is the mentality i have and i'm gonna keep it that way and then once it finally hits and you're like, damn it, I got to fucking take time off. It, it would have to feel like a letdown, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. like, oh, God, I'm going to miss fucking WrestleMania. Oh, I'm going like, oh, to miss the ECW thing. I don't even know if we had that already or not. I can't remember. Man. Yeah, that's. I think maybe that came later, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if we had it planned or not, though, because I know oh. it, when I did the ECW first uh pay-per-view i had the knee brace on from the surgery so yeah that's right that was that was it seemed like probably i don't know actually i was gonna say probably like 10 months after the surgery but i don't know six months carlito jumped me uh six months after surgery and i don't remember where that was with ecw i just remember that i felt good enough to at least you know take a couple bumps in there yeah, exactly. Take a couple. Get used to it there. Man. Let's see here. So on November. So this is interesting, Rob. Let's see here. Uh, your first interaction, your first match with The Undertaker occurred on October 1st, 2001 on an episode of Raw. Booker T, Rob Van Dam, and Test defeated Chris Jericho, Kane, and The Undertaker. Then, following up, uh, a little more than a month later on Raw, you defeated the Undertaker to retain the hardcore title. So you still oh, did. You had yeah. your own streak against what? the Undertaker. You did. Are you sure you read that right? I, at least that's what I saw in Online World of Wrestling. Uh, those were the two matches that I saw. So your first. Go away. Well, how about that? Hmm. Your own streak against the Undertaker. But it only lasted to be 2 and 0 two and oh, because on December 9th, 2001 on Vengeance, The Undertaker defeated Rob Van Dam to win the hardcore title. Um, we'll maybe have to take a deeper dive at this match later on at some other point. Hey, I'm trying to give the kid a rub, you know? That's it. That's it, you know? You got to get that American Badass gimmick over at some point. Why not let RVD do it? Um, any memories of that match offhand, uh, a Vengeance hardcore title match? I don't have any, uh, too much details on it at the moment. Yeah, I remember doing the crossbody from the uh, upper mm -hmm. level. Yep. And I uh, thought it was crazy that they wanted all these crash pads and stuff because that just was not what I was used to. You know, we didn't do that shit anywhere up before that. Um, also, it was cool. They, 
the the stuntman, by the way, was here. Um, okay. I just had his name again. Um, oh, the assistant guy. Yeah. Lee. Uh, anyway, I guess it's not going to change much about the show if I remember the, unless he's listening. Then it probably mean a lot to him if I remember his name, but man, really good guy. Uh, anyway, boom, did the uh, crossbody from the upper level to Undertaker. And what was cool was they had sprinkled baby powder all over. And when we hit, <laughs> like a big cloud of this shit came up. And I thought that was really cool. Oh, nice. Little effect there. At least that's the way I remember it. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and then a few days later on SmackDown, Rob Van Dam and The Rock tagged together to defeat Chris Jericho in the end. Hey, I'm trying to give the kid a rub. It's all you're doing, man. You know, you got to work with these people. It's you got to make some stars while you're there. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, uh, now. I know you're in the competitive mindset at this point, at this juncture of time, anything like that. Are you kind of being like, wow, I'm really working with the top guys here. And like, I, I'm, I feel like I belong. Did you kind of have that mentality going on at this moment in time? Like smack that around this 2001 when you're simulating in WWE. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, I think I was pretty stoked to be wrestling against these main eventers and representing hardcore style because I've always been a lot more comfortable with a hardcore style. I feel like I'm showcased and showcaseable more um, in, in such a light. So um, I thought that was really cool because I wasn't, um, I was able to do it my way and, and be seen the way I wanted to be seen uh, as the hardcore wrestler RVD. Um, and that was what was in my mind. That was what has gotten me to the main event. Cause, cause that's what I was doing at that time. And I think, you know, they started, I was main eventing the house shows, the live events sometimes as a hardcore champion. And I've always, 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 always felt like, and I still do, that um, their plans were never for the hardcore championship to be the main event draw. It was a joke to them before I got it that meant someone was going to get a swirly in the bathroom or the <laughs> taco stand was going to get tipped over and catch up in someone's eye. Like it was wrestling in the ball pits at McDonald's. I, I, I feel like I took it from that to main event status um, by putting it on my waist and having those exhibitions with it. And so I think that's why they got rid of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think um, to veer off just for a second, do you think, uh, a type of hardcore title today would work in today's wrestling landscape? Um, I don't know. I don't see why not, but I really don't know what, what what's out there. Cause like, 
Isn't the 24-7 belt, isn't that basically the same? Or I don't know. It kind of, like, you just, yeah, it's most roundabout way. They just call it, it was, but it's defunct now. It's no longer exists. They got rid of it, so. I always, uh, I always like that, but the problem is that it becomes less distinguishable when you start uh, having all the other matches so violent and inclusive of weapons and thinking outside the barriers of a normal match. That's 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 what always um, sucked, and that's what sucked about. Uh, well, anyway. Yeah, um, when, you know, if there's if there's a hardcore uh, match, and then like, ooh, just like if there's a ladder match, ooh, you can pull out ladders, people still get excited about that. They wouldn't so much if there was ladders used in three other matches on the card, you know. Right. If you were to do a hardcore title, it would have to be, the those types of matches would have to be specific to that title. And then like, but that also put, pins you in a corner if you wanted to do certain different matches for everybody else, so. It's kind of but funny. you know, it de- but that it depends on you know, yeah. The other style would have to be legit, you know, like get in the ring before the ref counts you out. Right, right. You have That's to have adhere really. to some of that stuff. And you, you gotta, gotta get, to- and you just gotta get the refs back, get the refs' attention, and be creative if you're gonna um, bring in a chair or something. Nothing wrong with that. And then when it's the hardcore match, then it means you know, fuck. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Anything goes. So I'm all for it. That'd be kind of neat if they uh, if AEW started doing the FTW title that way, since Hook has it and stuff like that. That's what I thought. When, I, I thought about that when I first found out they had the FTW. That that's maybe what they would do. But if you're having like death matches uh, on the you know on the show, then that's like a whole other level uh, of hardcore. Like that's yeah, yeah. So I don't think that it's gonna fit as well there True. stand out as much yeah yeah they could maybe do like yeah, what you were just saying like maybe just no disqualification like count out like you get rid of some of the rules that, that come with your typical match something like that might be interesting if they want to if they want to july 15th 2002 on raw the undertaker and brock lesnar beat rvd and rick flair so going back to flair you tagged with him there in uh, 2002 on after the match, Brock Lesnar attacks the Undertaker. So, um, the, after I just want to follow up with that. Um, you and Taker, like Taker's dynamic backstage, interacting with him overall. He's known to have a pretty good sense of humor, from what I hear. Uh, obviously, he was the um, the known judge of wrestler court. Um, did you have any wrestler court stories or anything like that, Rob? No, my only firsthand experience with wrestlers court was one time catering and the hallways were empty mm-hmm. and I heard some rumbling in in an auditorium or something and I opened up the door like where the where the fuck is everybody you know and I and I looked in here and I'm like what's going on in here and someone said wrestler's court and I was like oh I rolled my eyes out oh, fuck this and I just shut the door and walked away and he got a pop like that Everyone laughed, but I'm sure they knew that was the last thing I want to be part of. You wanted to deal with that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I always hear about crazy. the always hear about the one uh, with Brian Gewertz where he was uh, Edge and Christian gave him a like a flash re- action figure or something like that, and they thought he was being bribed to write for them or something like that. So he got put on wrestlers court for that. 
Um, I know Kurt Angle was sitting in the uh, jury or something like that, but pretty interesting stuff. Uh, that's hilarious. So that's great. But like in the real world, in the real world, you know, cause I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the, the flesh straight out of the dressing room. So I, you know, I, I came up on those morals and stuff, but in the real world, as the business is, is becoming more of a safe, you know, friendly work environment, uh, however the cool way to say that is, um, if you were to, uh, to have a meeting with a writer mm-hmm. on a show that you're on, and you wanted to pitch some ideas or whatever, and over dinner or drinks or whatever, and in the real, that would be like good business, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like normally, like if you were, if you had a, a sitcom or something or a TV show, you know. But in the business, you know, I remember, I remember one time seeing one of the boys at, at, at Waffle House sitting over there with the writer, and all the other boys were together, and I was just like stooge. <laughs> And the mentality is so stupid that, like, at that point, it's like, would I even want it if I have to do that? Yeah. It's a job. Mm -hmm. It's your career. It's more money. It's better placement. It's fucking maybe better enjoyment if you're pitching something that you want to do. There's so many benefits. But at the time, just being raised in the dressing room, you got these blinders on and it's just, it's just like, what a suck ass. Look at that. (laughs) Yeah. I would only imagine that you would not only think like, okay, this dude's sucking up and trying to politic, but it's like, you're going against the grain of what you're used to with pro wrestling. Like, you know, and and that mentality and everything like that. It's so stupid when you you really look at it from outside the perspective. From outside, it's like, you're helping yourself. There should be nothing wrong with that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, how about Undertaker backstage with you? You get you guys have a pretty good relationship, just professional relationship. Yeah, yeah. Saying. I don't remember ever having a problem with them. I don't remember ever really bonding a lot. You know, um, he's always uh, been cool. Always been fine to joke around with or whatever. As much as I can remember, I did work with him a lot. Singles matches. Yeah. Um, and that was cool because neither one of us needed to see each other at all before the match. And that's rare, but uh, that's the, that's what, that's how it was working to take. And um, he was, he was an authoritative figure though. You know what I mean? Cause like, even though he's one of the boys uh, still, if he's in the dressing room, you, most people are going to want to be on their best behavior. Or here's here's one for you. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I talked about this or not. Um, the overseas tours. When we would go, we'd be uh, overseas. Sometimes you know we'd have five, six nights in a row where we we got to travel every morning or whatever. Man, we 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 would wrestle, and this is everywhere, Italy, fucking. Everywhere, everywhere. After you wrestle, you can go and get on the bus. Mm-hmm. And, and and then the idea is that then you can leave earlier. You're already ready, uh, hanging out on the bus, you know, a- after you shower and whatever. And then you're just eventually just waiting on the main event, right? Right. Uh, I can't tell you how many times Undertaker and like uh, Triple H 
sometimes Batista, although I didn't blame Batista as much because he was, you know, more following the, the leader. But so many times um, we're all on the bus and they, they're, they're out there rocking the house. And after their match, ding, 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 it's over. Okay, cool. Hopefully we can leave because we have a four-hour drive. We, uh, we already know that we have to uh, be at the airport at 8, a, uh, at 8 a.m. So maybe we can uh, get to bed by four and have like two hours sleep because we're staying at the airport, you know, maybe if we leave, but we're, we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, every once in a while, man, like it's 45 minutes goes by, the show's over. Yeah. Everybody's on the bus except the main event. So um, I go in there and, and just, I got to pee, you know, yeah. go in there to pee and, and I, and I look and there would be Undertaker and uh, sometimes Hunter and they're, they're sitting uh, on chairs uh, with their, with their boots still on and their shorts down to the floor with a towel, sitting in a towel in a chair, putting each other over, just sitting there like, oh, brother, we fucking had him tonight. We had him, bro. An hour after the show's over, they're still giving each other hand jobs. I hated that part. Of, of I thought it was so inconsiderate, you know, and uh, and I just knew I wouldn't do that, you know, um, <laughs> if that was me. Uh, but um, hey, I can't say that I drew fucking uh, million dollar houses like those guys were. Maybe I'd want to, maybe I'd need a hand job afterwards in the dressing. But they were just, you know, they were just just talk about how great their match was, as if they were the only ones that drew everybody there. And I know it sounds like I'm talking shit, but this is just a perspective of frustration that I was in at the moment. This yeah. is how it was. We would have a cooler of beer on the bus in the front. And that would be a reason to go to the bus also afterwards. You could start drinking um, and, and wait on everybody so you could leave. And we're waiting. And, uh, you know, after so much time after that last uh, match, half hour afterwards or whatever, somebody would always grab our cooler of beer and go bring it inside to kiss ass and what? set it down between those two guys sitting in their towels in aluminum chairs with their shorts down around their wrestling boots. They would grab it. And I remember like uh, Rico Constantino doing it, you know, and I'd, he'd be like, I'm going to bring the beer in there. No, Rico, please don't. Oh, Rico. Please no. make them come out here. Make them come out here to drink, man. We got, man, if we leave now, man, we might get five hours sleep in the hotel before we got to check out, bro. Don't, you know, and he'd be like, yeah, you think? I'm like, yes, I think. Come on, bro, please don't do it. A few minutes later, he'd be like, yeah, boom. Oh, come on. No. Like, no. We're adults, you know, but at a certain point, it's, it feels like we're kids, like, trying to manipulate each other into doing or not doing things or whatever. But sure enough, it goes in there and sets down the fucking cooler of beer. So now we got another hour. I swear there's been times where we're at least we're two hours after the match is over. Is that, does that sound inconsiderate? You don't have to answer that. But anyway, <laughs> that, that, there's a story that comes to mind when I, when I think of the dead guy. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, I went and saw his uh, stand up uh, recently. Oh, how was it? I was going to oh, ask about it was that. Cool. 
Yes. It was cool. It was a lot different than I expected. Um, it was mostly him uh, having fun and laughing. And Godfather was there, so they were cutting each other up and mentioning, like, uh, little teases of past stories. Like, oh, brother, you're not going to tell that. Godfather kept saying, bro, my wife is right there in the front row. <laughs> Don't tell that fucking story. What are you... What are you doing? And they were drinking, you know, they got really hammered the whole time on stage. It was a lot of fun though. That's awesome. Like yeah. I hear it's really good. Like, and he, um, I, I, if I'm not mistaken too, I don't think you're allowed to use your cell phones at all either. So they keep it like, boom. So oh, like, that's right. That's where that, that's yeah. They keep it on the way in. They, yeah. they, no problem getting it right back. Like, how'd you know, how'd you do that? But yeah. Yeah. Right. I know they do that with a lot of like stand up acts, like, uh, you know, yeah. uh, certain ones. I, I think Dave Chappelle's very, uh, stringent about that kind of stuff but pretty cool because then it just opens up hey you can kind of say whatever or not new japan's it. gonna start doing that when you leave the fan events right they are you only have your phone when you're there but not when you leave there mm-hmm. take your phone take your phone speaking of godfather uh the bone street crew was founded by yokozuna which godfather was a part of that was almost the undertaker's uh quote-unquote click uh it was yokozuna coined the name of the group and the Undertaker was made up of wrestlers who were friendly with one another and shared similar interests, playing dominoes, bones, as they're known as. Members of the group were vetted by Yokozuna and the Undertaker. Several members of the Bone Street crew had letters BSK tattooed on themselves. Uh, Rob, did you run in again? Wait, wait, wait. What is the BSK? The Bone Street crew. With- I never knew exactly what that was, but something to do with dominoes? Dominoes, so bones, like they would play dominoes. and they uh, Domino so- D'Angelo? Yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. That, I was that, part of the crew. Are you saying that has something to do with his what, his skeleton that it, Papa Shango or no? Or did I make that? I don't up think so. I don't think so. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. that all just stemmed from uh, Yokozuna playing dominoes with the Undertaker. And um, but I, did you run in a gang, Rom? Did you have a click name with you and Sabu? No. No. Hmm. No, but I know, like, I mean, they talked about it, you know, um, at the um, at the Dead Man show, you know, yeah. and also Tex is one of them, right? Tex yep. Slash- Idiot. Dennis Knight. Yeah. Funny fucking dude. Dude, he's a fucking character. We had him on Road Dog. Oh, my yeah. God. One of the most wild episodes we've ever done. <laughs> he's such a he's such a funny dude. Nice dude. Uh, has quite the personality. <laughs> um, all right. March 5th, 2013 is when Paul Bearer passes away. So, geez, right when you were talking about it. How about that? And what year is this? Uh, 2013. So, March 3rd of 2013. Or March 5th, I'm sorry. March 5th of 2013. So, passes away. Um, overall, pretty nice. What a compliment to The Undertaker as a gimmick. Paul Bearer, The Undertaker. Um, obviously, he was Percy Pringle and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, just a good kind of manager to have for Taker. Um, let's see. We mentioned earlier in a previous episode about the streak ending by Brock. We talked about him being the right man for the job. Um, yeah. Was there any desire for you to be part of the streak? Like, what? <laughs> right? What do you mean? <laughs> like, like I, I want to beat The Undertaker? Not that you wanted to beat The Undertaker, but would you uh, – thought it would be pretty cool to be a part of that echelon of talent that faced him at WrestleMania, according to the street. Maybe he beats you 
on the way for the streak. He builds you at you're one of the guys to fall to him on the streak. I can't say that ever crossed my mind, Domino. All right. Hmm. Let's see. All right. Uh, okay, going into this, Undertaker goes in the Hall of Fame, uh, WWE Hall of Fame in 2022. Oh, yeah. Um, Why did that take so long? I don't know. Well, I think because he was an active wrestler for so long. And then with it uh with uh wrestlemania being in texas that year maybe it just kind of made sense to boom let's get the t- let's get taker in there in his back so does that mean that i'm definitely not an active wrestler with wwe hmm. what about Rey Mysterio? he got inducted while he was and he's, act- and he's yeah. active okay so there's not like a certain rule because i used to think you had to be retired um but then i don't know well he was basically retired at that point anyway the only one that wasn't, though, was Rey Mysterio. He was the only active wrestler, I think, to be inducted. Interesting. Yeah, isn't it? Very interesting. Um, Undertaker's legacy, Rob. I always ask about this at the end. What do you think his legacy is in wrestling? Man, uh, I don't think I really understand how to answer what someone's like the basically like what is it going to be remembered for right yeah yeah kind of basically that i don't i feel like i don't have the correct understanding of the word because especially by that answer because you're like oh, basically but if it's not that then i don't know what it is like yeah i would say it's what he's going to be remembered for most wrestling um so He'll be remembered for his long fucking career of of headlining huge pay-per-views and being a dead guy. (laughs) (laughs) Being a dead worker. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, his, uh, I guess, you know, very, very entertaining matches that are y- unique in in that they come from such a one-of-a-kind character you know and uh and you know he's big dude so he's a great representation of what what wrestling is and he's been wrestling so long that i think you know he's definitely one of those icons where if you want to talk about uh you know, uh, watching wrestling on TV or growing up watching it or whatever. I think, you know, his name has to be in that conversation as one of the, um, one of the OGs and, and, um, and one, one of everybody's favorites. A lot of people, he's their favorite and goth people, you know, and he reaches out and touches, uh, and connects with so many people that, uh, that love, darkness too mm-hmm. yeah he's uh he's definitely uh transcended a lot of pop culture and stuff like that too when it comes to that and that's very tough to do sometimes in wrestling so uh, and he was in the nanny and was he in the nanny the hulk hogan movie yeah he was in that i'm pretty sure wow i didn't know that wow i'm gonna have to look that up i've never watched the nanny to be honest well i could be wrong though i don't know but... i'm gonna say you're right though yeah i Let's usually was usually am <laughs> like, <laughs> well, It'll you know what? Commando that I'm thinking of, though. But was yeah, I think you're right. I think it is actually that, <laughs> or that, or like the what? What's the one with the Thunder in Paradise? Maybe it was in that. I can't remember. 
we'll we'll let the YouTube comments answer answer it for us. YouTube um, Chris knows. Oh, I bet yeah. YouTube Chris definitely knows. Um, something you're always right in, Rob, is when after we wrap it up, it is RVDology. You always instill us with a little bit of knowledge here. And uh, mm. last week, you talked about options. And yes. Options. It, that was something I very much kept in mind every time I did have options, which a lot of times you do have options in life. You always do. So um, I'm trying to think of the one certain instance too where that came up. Uh, d- d- mostly with budgeting my time in a lot of ways, I would think about it um, in regards to like, hey, how do I balance out my work schedule and make all this stuff work because my jobs have shifted and everything like that with freelance writing. And so trying to lay that out and realizing I have options, that's always one to kind of a good one to keep in mind, Rob. Yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, people don't think that they do have options. And uh, I made a point that um, <clears throat> you do have options. You might not like the options. But it's funny. I heard a couple of times on TV shows um, just in the last couple of days, and it stood out in my mind because we talked about this, but so, um, that they said, uh, hey, he had no choice. You know, what are you going to do? They had his kid. What are you going to do? You know, and it's like, Neh. you always have a choice, um, but when you don't have a choice is when it's a non-action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're not doing anything, you don't have options. When you're doing something and it's an action, then you have options. So, example, someone puts a gun to your head and you say, I don't want to die. He pulls the trigger. He didn't give you no options. That was a non-action. You didn't do nothing, but you, you know, you got shot. You were on the receiving end of the action there. But did he have an option? Absolutely. And uh, if he says, uh, you know, his boss said that he has to shoot you, otherwise they're going to shoot him, he's going to say, look, man, I got no other choice. But he does. He still got a choice, yep. It's always a choice. So don't let people manipulate you by saying, hey, you made me do this. I had no choice. You know, I I had to react in the way that I did by you taking that action. It's your fault. But that's not really uh, all true because uh, there's options. Mm-hmm. There always is. Unless right. you've got a gun to your head. <laughs> cool. We don't have to get real specific, but I really felt like that was going to help some people um i hope it does and uh damn i think this is gonna be number three fucking feels yeah, like it really yeah i think okay. so wow. um, well what a time what timing then for the new uh rvdology going on what do you uh what do you got for us this week rob i want to bring to attention that listening is a skill Listening is important. It's something that a lot of us could improve upon because sometimes people really want to be listened to. And there's a big difference between listening and talking. So um, like if if I'm talking to somebody and they're talking over me or interrupting me, I don't believe you can listen and talk at the same time. That's my belief. That's my um, ideology. And so uh, for me, if I, especially if I'm doing, uh, if I'm giving something instructional or someone asks for, for my help or whatever, let's say Dom says, Hey, can you, uh, 
can you give me an opinion on, on, on my wrestling match? And I'm like, and I watched it and I'm like, yeah, Dom, well, you know, um, I could tell like at the beginning, you know, like you circled around so many times before you, before you even locked up, like that's something you do when you're first starting out and you're really green. And then, and then Dom starts saying like, yeah, I know I got to stop working. I got to work on that. I gotta, Dude, are you listening or are you talking? <laughs> now for me, I don't really like to talk that much. So I can get a little insulted when people interrupt me when I feel like they should appreciate that I'm talking and not everything that comes out of my mouth is gold. I say so much silly shit around the house um, that Katie's on the other side of the house saying, what? And I'm like, never mind, wasn't worth it because it was really nothing. It was just something that I thought she might laugh at or something. Happens all the time. But back to uh, you can't talk and listen at the same time. So if you're interrupting people, forget about it. If uh, someone interrupts me while I'm talking, um, that's that that's I just stop. I'm just done. I'm like, all right, it's because it's not worth it for me to raise my voice to talk over them. It's it's more like I feel like. Um, and Katie's used to this because, you know, I used to always tell her that she's interrupted. Now I just stop talking. You know, I'm just like, I could be saying, um, yeah, we were uh, on the podcast. You know, your name came up because we were talking. Oh, you did your podcast? I'll just stop. <laughs> I'll just, <laughs> and I just like, wait, what were you going to say? Forget it. Sometimes I say forget it. Or sometimes I'll go ahead and give it to her if she asks me. But she knows that's that's what I do. But people do that, though. They feel like a need to respond. Not everything needs to be responded to. You can listen sometimes and not react to every little thing. Now, I am probably extreme in, in, in that way, especially compared to someone that's really dramatic. You might have a relationship where you and somebody, your friends, your sister, your spouse, whatever, where you get energy off of supporting each other with ridiculously uh, dramatic expressions. You know, <clears throat> for instance, um, someone could say, um, it took me like twice as long to get into work today because traffic was so slow. And they're waiting for a response. I could just be like, huh. And then if they're in a dramatic people be like, I know, right? Like they, they make more out of out of what they think I said, but I don't know what you think I said. That wasn't a proper response to what I said. <laughs> I know, right? Good. And that's a dramatic person that wants another dramatic person to be like, oh my God, twice as long? That sucks. And, you know, I, I tend to not be into that kind of uh, talk. I, we talked a little bit about mingling last week because of the wedding. I'm not into mingling. I'm not into small talk a lot. And, um, and that's, you know, that's me. That's my lifestyle. I don't want to talk about me. If, if I'm, I don't know, sitting in a bar, let's just say, trying to think of somewhere where I would be maybe by myself um, and say I'm having a drink and there's someone that feels the need to start a small conversation and they don't even know who I am, but it's meaningless, you know, just like, so, um, Hey, where are you from? 
oh my god like like usually for me i just want to like check out i'm like i don't want to talk about me he's asking me about me like oh boundaries dude uh, I'm not here for that. I don't want to lap dance. I just want to drink and look at the titties. <laughs> uh, so um, people do that and there is the purpose for it. And there's mingling uh, conventions. Some people, that's their whole life is mingling and small talk. Um, for me, it's, it's something that um, I don't normally um have to do a lot i don't choose to engage on it i look at like right now i'm talking because i feel obligated anyone tuning in is doing so to get my perspective and to hear me articulate my thoughts and say what i'm saying here but normally i'm very much not a talkative person and i don't react much uh, in terms of responses to people talking as Katie put it she said I give a lot of like one word or two word answers that doesn't invite a lot of future conversation if somebody is trying to open up and start talking to me but they're looking for something that they can uh have with me you know they just what kind of talk to them about um and they could be like I like your shoes you know and then they think they're gonna have a conversation I, just, I might just be like thanks <laughs> I'm extreme in that way and not rude. Um, I don't think, you know, people that, that get, uh, I don't, uh, people say I get, that I give them positive vibes, but I don't get a lot out of that. Uh, listening is something that like, uh, if people are talking and it doesn't, is there a response? Then, then I, then a lot of times won't respond. Cause you know, they could just say, um, they could be like, Oh my God. Like, um, I, I've, I've come to this place probably every, you know, I've come to this place like every week since I've lived here, you know, for like six months and I've never noticed that before. Oh yeah. What do you want me to say? You know, <laughs> I, I, and a lot of people, if you're thinking, wow, Rob, you must be fun at parties. You're right. I think that I would be very boring to somebody that is so dramatic that they feel like they got to talk about themselves, which first off they have to explain what's interesting about themselves. I don't have to do that. You know what I mean? But that is part of what people uh, do small talk. Think about it. Like if someone says, oh, oh no, oh, I can't do that. Like if I, if I hit the snooze button, you know, then I'm going back to sleep. Okay, you must think that's really interesting about yourself to tell us that if you really want to break it down. And there'll be certain things about people that they commonly use. You hear this person say this thing about themselves very often. It's their go-to move. It's their high spot. And the thing is, they think that that's a really interesting fact about themselves, you know? And when you break it down like that, it sounds kind of desperate and pathetic to, to, uh, to feel the need to fill the gap with that. Okay, there's this book. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. A lot of people are familiar with it. It's on relationships. I read part of it. I don't think I read the whole thing. I don't know, but it was a long, long time ago. But I remember when they were promoting it on all the talk shows and stuff. One of the things that I learned was it said that women sometimes just want to be heard. They're not looking for men to solve every one of their problems. And, and they were so spot on. Like that's been so useful since then that I remember it now to even mention to you. But sometimes people, uh, you, you want to say 
someone just wants to tell you like how their day was, you know, Hey, how was your day today? And they want to say, Oh my God, you know, it was like, man, I thought I was going to get fired this morning. This person was really rude to me. Boom, boom, boom. They just sometimes, and it's not just women and men way, you know, don't make this into a sexist thing, but there are patterns, you know, that are relatable, but either way, sometimes people just want to vent. They just want to be heard and they don't want you to try to fix everything. And, and men and some other people sometimes aren't good at that. They hear it. They're like, well, maybe you can do this. Did you try doing this? You know, and, and they're like, they don't even want it. And then it adds to the the confrontational vibe because now they're pushing back on what you're saying. And nobody, no one even notices unless you're a psychologist and, and you're studying this. So anyway... We could all be better listeners. Uh, if you're talking while you're listening, then you're not listening. And uh, if you're interrupting, then that's rude. A lot of people interrupt um, <clears throat> to make it about them. And a lot of people follow up to make it about them because they feel obligated to. That's what they think they got to do is make it all about them. Example, um, I almost missed my flight today. Holy shit. Uh, by the time I got through security, I only had 11 minutes till they said they were going to close the doors. And then someone else will, will chime like right in and be like, oh my God, one time I was traveling and I had my two ugly kids with me and they had popsicle melted all over their faces. So they were like really messy. And people do that. If you, if you observe it enough and you notice, a lot of people think they have to follow up everything with making it about them. Me being the bright light that I am, I tend to consciously not do that because people can't relate to a lot of my experiences. You know what I mean? Like, hey, have you ever been like a, a TSA where the, the fans are like literally like in Africa, they were literally like coming over the gate so much that security pushed us through and didn't even look at any of our IDs or anything and held the crowd back. You, you can relate to that, right? Oh, no, yeah. You can relate to that, right. So I, I tend to feel like uh, people that do that um, – People that do that want to be the center of attention, um, and it's an energy-manipulating kind of thing. Also, if you're waiting to respond, then you're not listening either, really. Not as well. If you're, if you're just waiting, I'm waiting till you stop talking for a break so that I can respond with what I want to say, and that's on my mind. Well, that kind of gets in the way of listening, too. You know what I mean? Like you could just say, uh, you know, what... Uh, what, or, or I'm trying to guess what your what your question what is really means behind that. You'll say like what what, what time did you say your flight was? Well, at three twenty. That's that's why I said I need to start packing. That's why I'm doing this right now, and that's why I'm trying to get these dishes washed and shit so I can get going and get out the door. Like whoa, whoa! I didn't ask for all that. Listen, listen to what I asked. I just asked what time your flight was. <laughs> didn't ask for all that shit that's what listening is listening for me is picking up literally what somebody is saying and that's the best way to respond without feeding in your own interpretation and translating it to mean something that maybe it doesn't and then getting emotional about it um, I tend to uh, try to uh, listen to literally 
what somebody is 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 asking specifically and uh and 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 that helps uh that helps with uh communication well so anyway uh just be better at listening and um you know uh we all know what it's like when to hear <clears throat> to feel like someone isn't listening to us when they respond like in a different way uh this is annoying to me. Sometimes people will be dramatic for me. I'll be I'll be saying something, and I'm being serious. They think I'm joking. Like we're all standing around. I could say, um, we could, uh, you know, we could always check and see if the manager is working. <laughs> where I was like, where I was like, let's see if the manager is working. <laughs> like i was being serious some people like jump off at the drama and and i'm and i'm like that's not even what i meant from it but i'm not even going to respond to that so i don't want to make them feel stupid and i also um don't want to encourage it but uh anyway dude i'm 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 tired and i don't even know if this if this one is uh is gonna set in with anybody or not but trust me sometimes listening doesn't need responses or they could just be passive responses like i see or wow that's a huge no they could just be passive you could just be like wow you know really wow oh that's cool nice they're not uh, people don't always want you to solve their problems and stuff um less confrontation dude let's uh wrap this up and uh we'll try and be better listeners you know i will like uh sometimes mostly i won't even talk to the person next to me on an airplane and it's so weird where else in life are you actually gonna sleep arm in arm with someone where your arm hairs are rubbing each other with right. a complete fucking stranger but i won't even look at them a lot of times unless i have to go, go by them um other ones you know sometimes i'll be like hey so you going home or on vacation and it's just like oh i don't want to know you i'm gonna sleep <laughs> anyway dude um let's all work on our on our listening skills and uh we'll go with that for go with that till next week i think that's a good one rob <clears throat> i gotta listen a little yeah. bit better we'll see mm-hmm. we'll see dude but it's something definitely a lot of people uh we're all can work on absolutely hopefully you guys were listening too and thank you for listening this week give us a good review give us five stars on apple itunes or spotify uh follow rob at the real rvd down there i always point the wrong way follow me at dominic d'angelo go to rvd pod for the clips those clips and stuff like that that youtube chris does and then you can catch us early on the premier streaming network every friday at 4 20 p.m then we're everywhere every monday at 4 20 p.m so tune in there. Okay, hey, man. Happy okay. November, everybody. Happy November. Let's get rolling. Turkey days are coming. <laughs> it's going to uh, happen. Sure. It sure is. We'll see you this next week here on One of a Kind with RVD. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Have Rob. a great week, dude. I was waiting for some kind of sign, some kind of indication. I was wasting my time. I got myself about the basement. I faked it long enough to say I made it. I was patient. I put up a fight. I